Welcome to an exciting forum of alternative viewpoints and balanced ideas. This is Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. That's Nav C and Nav M. Confused? Don't be, because two halves always become one. Now join us for an energized hour of global viewpoints and shared ideas, only for you. Now, here are your hosts, Nav and Nav. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. I'm your host, Nav C. And I'm your host, Nav M. Welcome to another hour of Alternative Views. This show will help you rethink, reshape, and reform ongoing narratives. And firstly, welcome to this first episode of 2021. I'd like to start this episode with an account of the iconic events from just over 57 years ago. At 12.30 p.m. on Friday, 22nd of November, 1963. This is a date which will live in infamy. It was the day... President John F. Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States, was assassinated by a hidden sniper fire in Dealey Plaza in downtown Dallas in Texas. The President was fatally shot in the head while sitting in his 1961 Lincoln Continental open limousine as it slowly motorcated through Dealey Plaza, turning off Houston Street, making its fateful journey along Elm Street. Governor John Connolly of Texas, who was seated on a jump seat in front of the president, also suffered multiple non-fatal bullet wounds. And although the 1960s was forever marked as an era where many assassinations of famous public figures took place, this particular murder was captured immediately on television cameras for the world to see over and over again. And indeed, it was the first assassination of a world figure that took place in the age of television. Therefore, it's hard to overestimate the magnitude of the event, the murder of a young president in the prime of his life, and the subsequent shock and sadness that captivated America in November 1963. So in this episode, we will examine the concept of conspiracy theory, using the assassination of President John F. Kennedy as a focal point. And we will discover that doubt is often the root cause of any conspiracy theory stemming from innate human biases and the suffering caused by a traumatic experience, such as the assassination of JFK. We will examine how conspiracy theories become established due to a concept known as agency panic, where dispossession causes one to feel as if their agency is under threat. Conspiracy theory can provide believers with many emotions which appear to be available elsewhere, namely closure, comfort, control, and a sense of leisure. Using the assassination of JFK, we will examine the role of conspiracy theory in modern American society and weigh up its pros and cons. And in the final section, we will focus on the alternative perspective, the events which did not occur, the so-called anomalies, which simply do not fit in either version of the assassination narrative, neither the government version nor the conspiracy approach. But let's begin with an account of the events which occurred. And our starting point is what's been referred to as the most significant 26 seconds of film in history. The 486 frames of 8mm home movie footage filmed by a Dallas dressmaker named Abraham Zapruder. These 26 seconds include a historic but horrific account of the JFK assassination. 
Zapruder was a deep admirer of President Kennedy and was eager to film the presidential motorcade scheduled to pass through the heart of downtown Dallas as a memento for his family. And along with his secretary, Marilyn Sitzman, he found an elevated position near a concrete pergola on the north side of Elm Street near the Texas School Block Depository to film the president. He saw a group of police motorcycle riders turn into Elm Street. And as the motorcade came into view, Zapruder lifted the viewfinder of his camera towards his face at approximately 12.30 p.m. And the following 26 seconds of film captured by Zapruder have become among the most defining images of the 20th century, creating a definitive record of President Kennedy's assassination. The horrific sequence of events depicted in the split-second frames of Zapruder's film have become the focal point of a raging national debate, extending more than five decades beyond President Kennedy's murder. The issues surrounding what happened in Dealey Plaza on November 22, 1963, have transformed America's collective social identity from the mid-1960s to the present day. The various interpretations of the Kennedy assassination presented by researchers intent on exposing the facts have also reflected the shifting perceptions of the American people regarding their institutions and the role of government in their daily lives. The Kennedy assassination clearly drove a wedge into the relationship between the American public and its government. The so-called conspiracy theorists reflected the sentiments of a changing and anxiety-ridden country, now facing an uncertain future following the brutal slaying of its young and charismatic leader. The assassination represented not only a search for truth and justice, but also a way of coping emotionally with the changes in America during the latter half of the 20th century. And although this theories surrounding President Kennedy's death were often disorganized, misleading, or perhaps bizarre. The central argument of conspiracy had established itself into American social and cultural consciousness. The emerging conspiracy movement did not come to fruition until the mid-1960s, but various contradictions in the immediate aftermath of the President's death had already created an air of doubt during the weekend of the assassination. Confusion had gripped the country from the moment the gunfire ceased in Dallas. Witnesses to the assassination expressed confusion as to where the shots had originated. Both law enforcement and spectators descended on a small hill that overlooked Elm Street searching for an assassin, and this hill soon became infamous as the Grassy Knoll. Dallas police had encircled the Texas School Book Depository building at the corner of Houston and Elm Street after spectators reported hearing shots from an upper floor. The news reports which were relayed by television, radio or newspaper reached millions of Americans outside of Dallas, but they were often factually incomplete. And let's remember this was an era before 24-hour news coverage. So many Americans first heard of President Kennedy's assassination through word of mouth or family members. And coupled with confusing and erroneous reporting by journalists, the dissemination of information created a rumor mill of inaccuracy concerning the events in Dallas. In addition to the deluge of information received by Americans already fixated to 
media outlets, the capture and subsequent murder of the alleged assassin added further drama and intrigue to an already murky situation. Less than two hours after President Kennedy's murder, Dallas police arrested an employee of the Texas School Book Depository named Lee Harvey Oswald, holding him in connection with the shooting of the president, fleeing Dealey Plaza and allegedly killing patrolman J.D. Tippett. And while in police custody's Authorities paraded Oswald in front of reporters and alluded that Oswald was clearly the assassin. With the world's media focused clearly on Oswald, he strenuously denied the charges of shooting the president or killing Officer Tippett. Oswald claimed to be a patsy or a fall guy for the true perpetrators of the assassination. And two days after his arrest, a Dallas nightclub owner named Jack Ruby shot and killed Oswald on live television as he was being transported to the county jail from police headquarters. With Oswald dead, the possibility of a confession and or criminal trial had been lost, and any knowledge that Oswald may have had died with him, leaving the nation with more unanswered questions. In the weeks and months following President Kennedy's murder, opinion was deeply divided among the American public over the question of who was responsible. News of the assassination had deeply traumatized and angered Americans all over the country. Prior to the official government response, polls indicated that nearly 70% of Americans believed Oswald was not the lone assassin and that a conspiracy was responsible for JFK's death. Approximately 30% believed the assassin or assassins harbored extreme right-wing political views. And in the immediate aftermath of the assassination, the specter of conspiracy haunted the minds of politicians and lawmakers in Washington, D.C. Both President Lyndon Johnson and FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover recognized the importance of suppressing rumors of a growing conspiracy. Speculation on the assassination based around a communist plot was rife and had the potential of damaging international relationships. The prospect of nuclear war between the US and the Soviet Union was a real threat, especially after the Cuban Missile Crisis of of October 1962. So President Johnson's advisor stated the case for Oswald to be labelled as the sole assassin and that a definitive account of the assassination should be delivered to the American public to quell the conspiracy rumors. In response to this looming crisis, President Johnson issued an executive order on November 29, 1963, to investigate the assassination. The subsequent investigation was headed by the highly respected Supreme Court Chief Justice Earl Warren. And to the public and the media at large, the Warren Commission appeared as a fair and honourable investigative body that would set the record straight on the truth behind the Kennedy assassination. And after a year-long investigation into the Kennedy assassination, the Warren Commission officially published its findings on 29th September 1964. The committee found that Lee Harvey Oswald had acted alone in assassinating President Kennedy. And the report presented evidence that Oswald fired three shots from the southeast corner of the sixth floor of the school depository building. The investigation also substantiated that Oswald murdered Dallas police officer J.D. Tippett shortly after the president's assassination. The report portrayed Oswald as an unstable loner and a political distant 
And there was no evidence that anyone assisted Oswald in planning or carrying out the assassination. And ballistics evidence was used heavily to substantiate their assertions. One of the commission's main findings which supported the lone assassin account involved a controversial theory that both President Kennedy and Governor Connolly were hit by a single bullet fired by Oswald from the school depository building. However, subsequent evidence contradicted this claim, forcing the commission to develop a new scenario to explain the shooting. And a key issue that the investigators had to change involved an eyewitness to the assassination named James Taig. Taig witnessed the assassination from the triple underpass in Dealey Plaza and received a superficial wound during the shooting when a piece of shrapnel from a curbstone struck his face. The commission believed that the curbstone had been hit by a missed shot. This meant that it was either one of the three shots which Oswald fired, subsequently missing the presidential motorcade, or it was a fourth shot that had been fired from a second and unknown assassin. The commission chose to pursue the first option, believing it to be a stray round, and then forced to develop a new timeline of the shooting to factor in the missed shot. A new dilemma now faced commission investigators, which involved the timing of the shooting. Using the Zapruder film, the commission established the assassination from first shot to third shot, lasting 5.9 seconds, and that Oswald's view from the sniper's nest had been blocked by a large oak tree. Experiments conducted by the FBI revealed that it took an average of 2.3 seconds to cycle the bolt and fire the, the rifle. But interestingly, a study of individual frames of the Zapruder film suggested that both President Kennedy and Gov Governor Connolly were hit by separate shots in less than two seconds. The photographic evidence gathered from the Zapruder film seemed to indicate that Oswald did not have enough time to shoot President Kennedy and then hit Governor Connolly with his antiquated bolt-action Kakano rifle. In order to rectify this anomaly, Anomaly, the Warren Commission developed a scenario in which President Kennedy and Governor Connolly were struck by Oswald's second shot, arguing that Oswald fired between Zapruder frames 210 and 225. The shot hit President Kennedy in the upper back and exited his throat. After exiting the President's throat, the bullet proceeded to hit Governor Connolly in his back exited from his upper chest and struck his right wrist before exiting and lodging in his left thigh. And this was dubbed the single bullet theory and became the official explanation for the missed curb shot and formed the linchpin of the commission's single assassin account. The single bullet theory protected the commission's finding that Oswald had acted alone. And despite the commission's revised version, the theory contained huge flaws. For instance, the commission had been unable to establish precisely when the single bullet shot had occurred. The range of Zapruder films chosen to represent the new timeline were confusing because the limousine and its occupants were not visible. Also, Governor Connolly testified that he'd been hit by a separate shot. And the governor adamantly opposed the commission's theory that the shot which shattered three of his ribs had also passed through President Kennedy. But despite inconsistencies with the commission's single bullet theory, the news media supported the findings of the Warren Commission that Oswald had acted alone. 
And to the American media, the troubling case of the president's assassination had been finally solved, and their approval was strengthened by supporting opinion polls. A Harris poll conducted shortly after the publication of the Warren Commission in 1964 indicated that 87% of the American public found the results of the investigation satisfactory. But by the mid-1960s, the emotional weight of the assassination had left an indelible mark on public consciousness. And in the next section, we'll discuss how America was beginning to change as a nation. So, for instance, support for the Warren Commission's lone assassin theory began to wane by 1965. The energy and optimism of the Kennedy era began to slow. And as the country began a descent into political and social upheaval... Following his election in 1964, President Johnson's vision of a great society comprising social programs that would end poverty ultimately failed. And by the mid-1960s, the civil rights movement began to falter as racial tensions began to boil over. The televised images of civil rights activists being beaten by police officers in Alabama and rioting in Watts, Los Angeles, outraged millions of Americans and further heightened the sense of pervasive hopelessness. But it was the escalating military conflict in Vietnam which provided the most significant contribution to growing government distrust. Fearing a communist takeover of Southeast Asia, the United States government had channeled economic and military aid into South Vietnam since the 1950s. And it was President Johnson who increased military action between 1965 and 1968. The social and political changes of the 1960s created an era of instability and misgiving. Post-war prosperity had given way to uncertainty, cynicism and fear. The Warren Commission became a target of suspicion as the credibility gap continued to widen. And many Americans looked back to the Kennedy assassination as the epicenter of the country's downward spiral. The issue of conspiracy in the Kennedy assassination had undoubtedly paved the way for a unique cultural movement in American history. It also reflected a change in how Americans viewed their government and themselves in the subsequent decades following the president's death. The theories put forward by the assassination conspiracy movement came under intense scrutiny and created a counter-narrative to the government's official version of events. By the mid-1970s, public trust in the official version of the assassination had begun to falter, such that nearly 9 out of 10 Americans doubted the conclusions of the Warren Commission. And when the Zapruder film was finally revealed to the American public in 1975, after being hidden from public view, they witnessed shocking images which appeared to show the president being hit from the front, not behind as the government had told them. By 1976, the continued public outcry forced Congress to finally act and begin an official reinvestigation. In many respects, the assassination represented a flashpoint in American history where the country had entered a dangerous new reality and a sense of betrayal had unseated the optimism generated by President Kennedy's promise of a new frontier. The assassination conspiracy theories had successfully cultivated an air of suspicion that had come to define American society and political culture for decades to come. 
But more importantly, the late 20th century demonstrated that an increasingly suspicious and distrustful American people were more than willing to buy into alternative ideas manifested through conspiracy theorists. Conspiracy theories not only imbued President Kennedy's death with meaning, they also provided an effective lament for the disappearance of post-war American values and prosperity. So now that we have a complete background on the main events surrounding the JFK assassination, let's now turn our attention to the origins of conspiracy theories. Firstly, we ask how do conspiracy theories arise? The Kennedy assassination remains one of American history's most written about and documented events, and the many debates it has given rise to are likely to continue into the distant future. Our focus in the next section will be the work of the conspiracy theorists and how they established a counter-narrative that reflected their own interpretation of the, of the event. And more than any other group, the conspiracists created a paradigm shift in how Americans viewed the assassination and became more receptive to conspiracy theories in general. In his 2001 book, Enemies Within, The Culture of Conspiracy in Modern America, Robert Goldberg claims that the emergence of conspiracy theories about the Kennedy assassination were primarily motivated by emotional bias and attempt to reconcile loss by the Amer American public, by the methods of constructing an alternative version of events. Furthermore, Philip Jenkins, author of Decade of Nightmares, The End of the 60s and the Making of the 80s America, asserts that the assassination was the gateway towards a cultural obsession with conspiracy, one in which Americans felt that a clandestine government presence existed behind the guise of a free society. The strength of opinion supporting conspiracy theories is illustrated in a 2013 Gallup poll to mark the 50th anniversary of the event. Data showed 61% of Americans believed the assassination was a conspiracy, while 30% believed Oswald acted alone. And similarly, a recent 538 commissioned poll of over 5,000 adults conducted in 2017 revealed only 33% of Americans believe that one man was responsible for the assassination. A majority, 61%, believe others were involved in a conspiracy. In almost every demographic, most respondents believed that Oswald did not act alone. But the most interesting fact in the year since is the events surrounding the death of President Kennedy have become the subject of the archetypal conspiracy theory, endlessly debated and never def definitively resolved. The big question now remains, will we ever truly know what happened? The answer is probably not, given that information surrounding his, this topic has a tendency to be released on a very, very incremental basis. And in the upcoming piece, NAVSI will analyze how and why conspiracy theories exist, in particular, how people become conspiracy theorists and why people resort to conspiracy theory and what role does conspiracy theory have in modern American society. So I'll hand over to NAVSI, who will begin her piece. Thank you, NAVM. To create a better understanding of the term conspiracy theories, the core premise that I will focus on is that such theories satisfy an innate human craving. For instance, whether the purpose of conspiracy theory is to ex 
explain an individual event or how the world works. Conspiracy theories enable the believer to address previously unanswerable questions in a manner both acceptable and understandable to the individual. The first step is to establish a workable definition of the term conspiracy theory. The term conspiracy is often grounded in its application to common law. Excuse me. The crime of a, conspiracy, of a conspiracy requires an agreement between two or more persons that results in either an unlawful act or a lawful act by unlawful means. Whereas conspiracy theorist is someone that believes in and creates and circulates at least one conspiracy theory. Political science, scientist Michael Barkin described conspiracy as the belief that an organization made up of individuals or groups was or is acting covertly to achieve some malevolent end. Fortunately, not all conspiracy theories are malevolent and, uh, and the definition of malevolence is pliable, meaning that a negative conspiracy theory to one person may be positive to the other. Although the phenomenon of conspiracy theory existed before 1963, it occupied a more marginal place in American life. The assassination of JFK changed the very essence of conspiracy theory, and it was largely based around a grassroots network of conspiracy researchers. Interestingly, many of these um, researchers were women who were who identified closely with the personal ideas of JFK. An advantage of the existence of the conspiracy theory subculture is that it is an overt expression of free speech. Constitutionally protected by the First Amendment, the freedom of expression is the backbone of the American way of life. Hence, conspiracy theory is largely a way in which powerless individuals and groups can acquire a voice against a powerful group, which is usually the government. That said, conspiracy theory can equally use to promote oppression as it can to advance democratic value. For instance, the manipulation of conspiracy theory by Nazi Germany showed how it could be exploited to reveal underlying hatred and prejudice, which would then be mobilized for deviant political objectives. Uh, in the next section, I will discuss how conspiracy theories are created um, we are coming up to a short break at the moment. Uh, much more to come in the next segment. See you shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device. 
including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. To find out more about us and the ideas behind our show, visit our website at gmc-radio.com. That's gmc-radio.com. Now, back to Good Morning Canada. Welcome back. You're listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. Great to have your company. So picking up from where we left in the last segment, um, we're going to talk about how conspiracy theories are created. Though exercising innate biases that we hold as human beings, biases are a constant influence on our judgment, leading to the formulation of a conspiracy theory. So let's begin with the first, which is doubt from, from biases. When attempting to explain why something has happened, human searches for patterns. If similar events occur for a certain reason, then it is often assumed that those events have caused the most recent incidents too. When an event does not happen for the reasons expected, doubt creeps in and a person becomes more willing to dismiss an official explanation and, and return to the tried and tested analysis. This doubt can be created both consciously and subconsciously because of life experiences and naturally occurring biases. When this is combined with a significant distrust in authority, such as a such as misgivings about the government, then the conspiracy theory is a likely resolution. We come to the second point, which is doubt and trauma. When Senator J. F. F. Kennedy was um, uh, won the 1960 presidential election, he was the youngest president ever elected to office at the age of 43. He was veteran of World War II, a Pulitzer winner, and the first president to be born in the 20th century. Clearly, there was a sense that the country was moving forward, um, highlighted by the resolution of the Cuban Missile Crisis in October 1962, and an improvement of relations between the Soviet Premier Khrushchev and himself. Hence, on 22nd November 1963, when the torch was extinguished, the outpouring of grief was understood. The The national trauma caused by the assassination was compounded by a lack of justice, which was denied to the American people. Partly because of the death of Oswald at the hands of another assassin, Jack Ruby, as well as the infections of the Warren report. Also, the fact it was Oswald and not a cabal that deposed Kennedy can also be a problem for people who are leaning towards conspiracy theories. This can be partly examined by the concept of proportionality bias as one reason for this proportionality bias. This is where individuals prefer to associate major events with equally major complex causes. The fact that Oswald, a wife beater who could not hold down a job and had delusions of gender, took 
a $21 mail-order rifle to work and shoot the most powerful man in the world appears to be appears to many conspiracy theorists as at least a disproportionate tipping of law of events and consequently the scale of justice the lone assassin theory simply does not accord adequate meaning on the death of the president which explains why some conspiracy theorists are influenced by the propaganda uh, basis they will simply reject outright the concept of the lone assassin and move on to what they believe resembles an acceptable balance of forces now in the next section i will discuss reasons why conspiracy theories are created the simple way to answer this question is to divide it into two broad areas firstly why people revert to conspiracy theory and secondly what need or desire it fulfills primarily conspiracy theories are created because they provide people a lens through which they can shape the world to fit their belief system and circumstances and make complex events understandable in doing so so it supplies an escape from everyday life moreover uh, the conspiracy theory can be captivating leisure activity similar to going to the cinema or reading literature so let's first begin why people revert to con- the conspiracy theory predisposition a predisposition to conspiracy theory due to the past experience can lead want to accept a new conspiracy theory sometimes people resort to conspiracy theory because they are predisposed to the idea it is therefore more likely that one would believe a new conspiracy theory if one had already accepted the conspiracy theory in the past so this means that a believer in a jfk conspiracy theory is far more likely than someone who is not a conspiracy conspiracy theorist to believe in another The next reason we shall examine is misinterpretation. A simple misinterpretation is another reason which explains why many people resort to simple belief in a conspiracy theory. This is illustrated by the controversy surrounding the so-called head snap in Abraham Zapluda's infamous home movie. When someone is hit with a bullet, they usually fall in the opposite direction from the from which the bullet came, which is a principle generally considered to be correct. So when Zapruder Rapruder's film was first screened on American national television in March of 1975 an audience of millions saw the president head and body snap violently backwards and to the left it is understandably why this image has been interpreted as a shortcoming from the front from the right front the area of the grassy knoll the screening of Zapruder's film on Harold Rivera's Good Night America on Thursday 6th of March 1975 was watched by millions and it soon became visible proof for many Americans that the government had lied to them on a massive scale. Now this leads us to the next re- reason which is persuasion. A person may resort to conspiracy theory as a result of being talked into believing something. we mentioned earlier that we are born with innate biases which allow us to become conspiracy theorists but this is not to say that we start out as a conspiracy whether it is how the theory presents evidence or because it is considered socially or culturally acceptable the issue surrounding the kennedy assassination is the concept of conspiracy 
And it's linked due to the cultural factors. It has become the classic conspiracy theory and people are more open to being convinced. The term grassy knoll and magic bullet have become synonymous with conspiracy theory. Whenever there is a scandal, grassy knoll is now being used to denote an issue which is, which is unaccountable. The final reason that we shall be discussing is agency panic. The term agency panic was coined by Thomas Millay of Miami University, who described it as an intense anxiety about an apparent loss of autonomy, the conviction that one's actions are being controlled by someone else, or that, or that one has constructed or has been constructed by powerful external agents. Conspiracy theory solves agency panic by rest- restoring control to the conspiracy theorist. Dispossession, whether it is the loss of a political voice or personal possession or of a job, a health or a loved one, causes, um, is the cause of agency panic because when any of these events occur, it appears as if one's autonomy is being challenged or lost. To protect one's reality, individuals begin to have radical doubts about how knowledge is produced and about the authority of who produces it. Therefore, trust is only afforded to themselves and to those close to them, but they repeatedly question outsiders. Conspiracy theory acts as a boundary because it develops from the refusal to accept someone else's interpretation of an official sanctioned truth. After his assassination, Kennedy supporters were disposed to their leader, and it represented a lost opportunity for fundamental change in the U.S. Agency panic, therefore, leads people in a zone of insecurity and conspiracy theory. Having looked at the various reasons why people prevent, re- revert to the conspiracy theory, let's turn our attention to what needs or uh, desires does the conspiracy, conspiracy theory fulfill. Firstly, closure. Investing in a conspiracy theory and becoming a conspiracy theorist provides the believer with a personal sense of closure, which is not immediately attainable through a story from authority. It does this because it challenges the official narratives which are unattainable for the conspiracy theorist, allowing questions to be answered in a manner which accepts the ethics and circumstances of the believer. Secondly is the comfort conspiracy theory. By preventing the image that everything is solved and a seemingly irrational event has been given a preconceived sense of rationality, the believer will feel that the order has been restored to the world. There are no, un- no, uh, there are no unknowns left to rationalize with and this introduces a comforting balance back into the world and negates the need for acts and randomness to explain anything. Hence, the worldview of the conspiracy theorist is upheld. In the next session, I will focus on how an element of control is restored to the individual by adopting a conspiracy theory through leisure. This may not be the sole reason why somebody resorts to conspiracy theory, but the fun people have when reading about or researching or studying is an important factor. Conspiracy theory is the ultimate piece of storytelling one creates or buys into Uh, into a narrative which can be personally dictated and narrated. Conspiracy theory taps a popular appetite for intrigue and mystery, like any film or television thriller. The reputation of conspiracy theory, especially one like Kennedy's assassination, builds upon foundations of mystery. 
It is considered that the case has a genuine puzzle at, it, at its core, which could be cracked if one invests enough time and rearranges the pieces properly. Now, in the final section of my piece, I will discuss the role conspiracy theories have had on modern American society. To answer the question, I would like to focus on two main points. Firstly, freedom, free speech. Essentially, conspiracy theory is born of the principle of free speech. And in some respects, it is a litmus test for democracy because an undemocratic society will result in no conspiracy theory being formed at the grassroots level. Free speech gives us the right to be able to think for themselves, to investigate for themselves and publish their own feelings. Conspiracy theory does this often and it And it takes the difficult position of going against popular consensus and standing with maturity. It teaches people not to be afraid and to uphold their, uh, afraid to uphold their unpopular beliefs. This is important because sometimes the noblest positions are those given against the majority. Transparency. A surprising byproduct of conspiracy theory is that it can aid transparency and Oliver Stone's 1991 movie, JFK, superbly highlights this. By an attempt to conclusively prove an alternative history using conspiracy theory, governments on occasions would release documents to the public. The movie JFK played an important role in the opening of thousands of sealed files which would have otherwise been extracted by Freedom of Information Act or requests or declassified by the agency themselves in due time, a process which neither the CIA or FBI are known for. In response to public outcry, Congress passed the President John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act of 1992, which ordered the release of all assassination-related documents. The majority of these documents could have taken much longer to be released if It were not for Oliver Stone's conspiracy theory manufacturing a climate in which disclosure was possible. Now, at this point, I would like to hand back to Nav M, who will explore the issue of anomalies in relation to the conspiracy theory. Thank you, Navsi. So I'd like to pick up from where you left off because you explored two points regarding the positive benefits of conspiracy theories, namely free speech and transparency. But I'd like to introduce a third aspect, which is the negative aspects of conspiracy theories. And it seems that many of the conspiracy theories which were being discussed in the aftermath of the Kennedy assassination are being regurgitated for modern audiences. Many were being discussed 40 years ago. Indeed, some are outlandish and have been completely discredited, yet they come up time and time again. The real tragedy is that the Kennedy conspiracy theory vehicle is a lucrative industry. And there's a huge amount of money to be made as amateur detectives crave the notoriety of solving the case. It's a freeding frenzy that has continued for over 50 years and will continue for decades to come. And while there is a certain callousness to it all, it reminds us that the way in which individuals view the assassination says more about them than the assassination itself. Furthermore, it's important to consider what is not being discussed as being equally significant. And here I draw reference to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's short story, Silver Blaze, in his compilation, The Complete Sherlock Holmes. 
In this story, Holmes solves the mystery of a missing racehorse, Silver Blaze, and its trainer. The most crucial clue in the case is what Holmes calls the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. The fact that the dog did not bark at the time of the crime indicates that the dog knew who the culprit was. And it's fair to say that the identity of President Kennedy's murderers will never be known, and the full truth of the assassination may never be uncovered. But in the final section of this episode, I'd like to focus attention on the role of government agencies, specifically the Secret Service. A substantial number of documents were either unavailable or overlooked by the Warren Commission. Certain facts seem so odd that it seems inconceivable to view them as sheer coincidence or the presence of an anomaly. They seem as unaccountable as the assassination itself, and yet they help throw light on the violent death of President Kennedy. So we begin by asking, can conspiracy theories explain the failure of the Secret Service? The assertion that the Secret Service bungled its responsibilities prior to and during the assassination seems inescapable. This is confirmed by authors Harrison Livingston and Robert Grodin in their 1989 book, High Treason, The Assassination of JFK and the Case for Conspiracy. They state, quote, Kennedy was killed by a breakdown in a protective system that should have made the assassination impossible, end quote. The poor performance of the president's bodyguard has led some researchers to suspect the Secret Service and that it was somehow involved in the conspiracy, although this has never been comprehensively proved. But it does raise vexed questions about the reasons for the failure of the Secret Service in its role to protect the president. Based on the information available 50 years after the assassination, there is a consensus among researchers that a major malfunction occurred in aspects of President Kennedy's security detail. Quite simply, JFK's protection was wholly inadequate. In fact, the protection was so defective that it increased the likelihood of an assassination plan succeeding. By making the murder of JFK easier and the undetected escape of the assassins more likely, this Secret Service bungling con contributed to the assassination. So let's look at two main areas, due diligence and accountability. Firstly, due diligence. The Warren Commission vindicated the Secret Service, finding that there had been no fundamental lapse in President Kennedy's security protection. In 1963, Secret Service regulations governing escort security for presidential motorcades stipulated that buildings along the motorcade route had to be inspected whenever the motorcade route was a standard one and one that had been used in the past. Indeed, President Kennedy's Dallas route had been a standard motorcade route for years. Even President Roosevelt visited Dallas in 1936 and used the same route, albeit in the opposite direction. Nevertheless, when President Kennedy visited Dallas, the Secret Service's own guidelines were violated and no inspection of the buildings along the motorcade route were made. The consensus that JFK's protection was seriously flawed began to emerge in 1979 after a two-year investigation of the assassination. The U.S. House of Representatives Select Committee on Assassinations issued a final report which concluded devastatingly that the Secret Service was deficient in the performance of its duties. Key points from the committee found 
firstly, agents in the motorcade were inadequately prepared to protect the president from a sniper attack. And there are a number of points here. At the time the presidential limousine came under fire, the two Secret Service agents in the front seat failed to perform the protective functions expected of them. Under regulations, the agent on the passenger side of the front seat was supposed to protect the president by pushing the president down or by throwing his body over the president. Neither of the agents did this. Also, the agent driving the limousine was supposed to accelerate the limousine and speed away from danger, such as sniper fire. But in this case, during that time that rifle bullets were tearing into the open limousine, the driver failed to accelerate and possibly slowed down. And films taken later revealed later that during the assassination, they showed that the limousine's brake lights were on and remained on until after President Kennedy had been fatally injured. The Secret Service agents in the escort car immediately behind then-Vice President Johnson's limousine behaved far more competently than the agents in the escort car immediately behind the president. Specifically, the agents protecting Johnson who was two cars back from the president, reacted much more quickly to the assassination. Secondly, also the, it seems that the Secret Service possessed incorrect information that was not properly analyzed or investigated. The Secret Service rejected a request by the Dallas Police Department to insert into the motorcade, three, which was actually three cars behind the presidential limousine, a police squad filled with homicide detectives. During the Dallas motorcade, there were supposed to be four motorcycles escorting the president, two at the right rear of the limousine and two at the left rear. However, when shooting began, only three of the motorcycles were in place. The right rear motorcycle was, in fact, several cars back in the motorcade, thereby weakening security on the president's right side. The day before the Dallas visit, at a meeting with local police chiefs, And when the final arrangements for the motorcade were made, the Secret Service were ordered to reduce security protection in terms of the number and placement of Dallas police officers. Indeed, the part played by the Secret Service remains one of the intriguing mysteries of the Kennedy assassination. But it should also be noted that the Secret Service receives direct instructions from the Department of Homeland Security, and it also liaises with the FBI and CIA. But it would be grossly unfair to single out the Secret Service as solely culpable for intelligence failures. Let's take a brief look at accountability failure. The assassination of President Kennedy was a gigantic intelligence and security failure by the FBI, the Secret Service and the CIA, and yet nobody was fired. One of the basic purposes of counterintelligence work is to prevent assassinations. However, after the JFK assassination, neither the FBI or CIA officials in charge of counterintelligence were fired, even though they had failed miserably in protecting the president. And this raises other key points. Why weren't the usual crime lab protocols for testing firearms or bullets performed in the case of the murder of JFK? Several scientific test procedures employed by crime labs to examine firearms or bullets were not performed in the, U- in the JFK murder case. 
separate. Another technique in firearms homicide cases is to examine spent bullets for blood and human tissue. In the JFK, JFK murder case, a spent bullet casing was found on the stretcher which took JFK to hospital, but neither the FBI nor the Dallas Police Crime Labs attempted to identify the blood and tissue samples. Also, why was there no grand jury investigation of the assassination? It seems inconceivable that no federal and grand jury was established to investigate the Kennedy assassination and bring criminal charges against anyone involved in the assassination. A grand jury investigation would have meant the assassination was registered as an active homicide case rather than a fact-finding report prepared by the Warren Commission. The president's murder and any crimes committed in connection with it would have been professionally handled by experienced prosecutors and investigators, utilizing the vast powers grand juries possess to subpoena witnesses and documents, to question witnesses and to lodge criminal charges. The Warren Commission's response was that murdering a president was not a federal crime in 1963, but since the 19th century it has been a federal crime to conspire to injure any federal official while engaging in his or her official duties. So let's wrap up with some final remarks. We've shown that the phenomenon of conspiracy theory should be allowed to continue unimpeded because it is a byproduct of democracy and therefore at least in the United States protected by freedom of expression. Conspiracy theories are rightly able to disseminate any number of information to create a new narrative. Con conspiracy theory will always exist as a phenomenon because it's inextricably linked to free speech and democracy. And it's imperative, therefore, that the United States learns to live with conspiracy theory to create feasible counter-narratives. And throughout this episode, we've shown that different people are capable of initiating or subscribing to, to some sort of conspiracy theories due to the biases that we exhibit as humans and the way we are exposed to creating behavioral patterns. Ultimately, conspiracy theories reinvented the assassination narrative into an attack on the nation itself and on truth and freedom. In President Kennedy, conspiracy theorists found a tragic figure cut down in the prime of his life. By employing strong feelings of loss and nostalgia, they contributed to the popular memory of the slain president. In the conspiracy narrative, President Kennedy emerged as a mythic hero, representative of American post-war progress and courage. By fusing the president's assassination with sentiments of institutional distrust, the nation became a victim to the shooting as well. President Kennedy and the American people merged as victims of the same alleged plot. Conspiracy theories provided a tragic but meaningful emotional link between the nation's leader and the perceived decline of the, of the country he left behind. And finally, I'd like to finish with one final point about the issue of anomalies. Earlier we alluded to Sherlock Holmes' story, Silver Blaze, and the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. Essentially, the curious incident was that the dog did not bark, which points to an immediate anomaly or an element of doubt. And as we've already mentioned, 
doubts lead to fact-finding. This leads us to a simple conclusion that often the questions and answers are staring us in the face. For instance, if a lone gunman can assassinate a president, is it credible to believe that one man can run a country alone? Or one man can fly a commercial aircraft alone? Or perhaps one man can operate an Olympic-sized sailing boat alone? And these are questions for all of us to ponder on. And that's all we have time for in today's episode. Many thanks for listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. We really appreciated your company. And if you have any feedback on any of the issues discussed in today's episode, please contact us or go online at gmc-radio.com or you can send feedback by emailing us at info at gmc-radio.com. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Good Morning Canada. Please join NAVC and NAVM for another great program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon.